You can support the Double Loop Podcast by contributing at patreon.com slash double loop podcast. Thank you to our supporters, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. All right, Glenn, uh, continuing on with fun facts, we're still here at the conference in beautiful San Antonio, beautiful and humid San Antonio, Texas. Um, and last night we had this uh, great party from uh, hosted by Idemia, and uh, we're going to talk a lot more about uh, that here this episode, but I want to talk a little bit about where the, uh, the, the, the party was, which was at the Chart House, which I love the Chart House, um, and there's one in Scottsdale that's super good. Uh, but uh, it w- the chart house in San Antonio isn't next quite as close to water as they usually are. This one is 750 feet up in the air at the top of the Tower of the Americas, which was built in 1968 um, in San Antonio in preparation for Hemisphere 68, uh, the 1968 World's Fair. It was the tallest observation tower in the U.S. until the stratosphere in Vegas was completed, even taller than the Seattle's uh, Space Needle. cost about $5 million, but I thought the interesting part was they built the whole tower first, this concrete just spear going straight up into the air. And then they built the, um, like the, the restaurant, the building part. And they built it around the column at the bottom and then hoisted it up after it was completely completed all the way up to the top. There was a little accident uh, where some of the cables snapped and it was kind of precariously perched up there for a while before finally getting fixed just a couple days late for the um, the World's Fair in 68. Uh, so I guess it's been like 50 years, so I don't know, but hearing kind of reading that story made me kind of a little, eh, about uh, dinner last night. But I guess 50 years later, it's pretty secure and up there. Yeah, it is actually really cool looking out the window now at it, and it it does have a World's Fair. Before you even said the actual history behind it, I thought, oh, it's got to be a World's Fair thing. (laughs) It just did it. Like the the World's Fair tower in Men in Black and the the one from the Simpsons episode, where it just it's it's got that World's Fair tower. So this episode today, we have a guest. We have Teresa Wu from Idemia with us, and we're going to be talking about uh, some of the new technology and exciting things, particularly something called Case Aphis. So this episode is brought to you, the listener, by and from Idemia. And in fact, one of our first questions as we welcome our guest. Hi, Teresa. How are you? Hi. Hi, everybody. And uh, Teresa, you you may recall you have been on the Double Loop podcast before. Yes, that was a couple years back. Yes, in 2014, that was episode 36. And also, uh, you were one of our first listeners and big supporters right from the get-go. And you're still following and supporting us, and we appreciate that. Yes, I think four years later, I still listen. Every time I go, just before I have to pack for my trips... When I'm packing, I will just put the podcast on and listen while I pack. 
So that's my packing podcast. Oh, <laughs> I'm not... we're packing music. Yeah, I like that. I like that yeah, yeah and, and also a one of our first Patreon supporters as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I think this is very uh, innovative what you guys are doing for the, for the discipline. It teaches us not just the user, you know, the examiners, but also the vendor better understand your current issues. So for me, this is a great source of information, and I feel... Supporting you is a natural thing to do. No, oh, well, thank you very much. So the first question out, out of the gate, is it idemia or is it idemia? I've heard it pronounced both ways, and so I think people need to know, what is it? So uh, it's pronounced idemia. Idemia. Yes. And what does idemia mean or stand for? Very good question. So idemia, um, uh, it's all about augmented identity. You remember our ta- company tagline um, is about uh, you. So I, I, okay, ID, mm-hmm. idem, because actually we also do device security, IoT security, so okay. about objects, mm-hmm. and Mia, me. <laughs> so okay. it's all about all the alternative ego of you. So it really should be pronounced... I, I, D, I, Dem, Mia. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> okay, okay. So you mash all things together, become right. I, Dem, Mia. I, Dem, Mia. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's probably easier to say than I, I, D, I, Dem, I, Mia. Yeah. <laughs> so it's neither an acronym or an abbreviation. <laughs> Call back to a previous episode. <laughs> yes, when I was pushing up my glasses and being annoying nerd guy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And so users and listeners may actually be more familiar with the previous name and incarnations of the company, which is really a morpho company. Yeah. So can you give us a little bit of history on this evolution from morpho to idemia? Oh, okay. Wow. Um, it's going to be a long, long... So The, you know, the short version. Yes. Yeah, I would try to make it very short. Um, so idemia come from a merge of two companies. So Morpho and the other subsidiaries that you may have known in the U.S. as Morpho Track, Morpho Trust, right? The one in Canada, Morpho Canada. Um, and then the end of the company called Operator. So Operator, you may not know them well, but actually use their product on a daily basis. Really? Like what? Your smart chip on your credit card. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Right? The chip on the mobile phones. That you okay. have. All right. Those are uh, those smart chip. Um, some, um, most of them. Obathur is a pot, pot, uh, manufacturer um, leader in smart chip, car and security device um, um, security. So, uh, we, the we the owner bought Morpho and merged Obathur and Morpho together to create Idemia. Okay. And the acquisition happened. The merger. The acquisition happened, or Morpho happened last year, and the merger, of course, happened at the same time. So, as for a little couple months, we were known as OT Morpho, right? OT for Operator, Morpho for okay. Morpho. So, we were known as OT Morpho, but then September last year, we reviewed our new brand, which is Idemia. So, we become Idemia officially in September last year. That makes sense. I mean, you know, as, as users, we, we don't know what's going on sometimes. And we see a company and go, well, who are they? Oh, that, that's you. Oh, okay. All right. Well, now, now we understand. We, frankly, the, the big APHIS companies have all been going through some changes and name changes. And we're trying to figure out who the hell is who. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's really about people. And we try to tell people that, yeah, we are the Morpho. I mean, I think it's exciting about this in, in North America, especially, is that we finally get this 
family reunion between Marvel Trust and Marvel Track. It's exciting things because I think for a while I was like, wow, you have two different company and two different names and similar products, and finally we get to merge them and have a consolidated offering to the to the U.S. and Canadian market. Yeah. So if someone is if they have the Idemia Aphis, basically their product is what a Morpho Track or Morpho Biz platform? Is that what that would be called? What What is the name of their Aphis right now that they would have their platform? I used to call it called Mbiz. It's not going to change for now. Okay. I mean, I, Mbiz. M as in Mary. Morpho. Biz. Yeah. yeah. M used to extend for Morpho, but now you know in the world multi biometrics. It's M for multi-biometrics. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that was convenient. You guys yes. just switched it over. Okay. Oh, I, oh, I was thinking it was going to be M for idem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right. That's a little, yeah, maybe not. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're talking about the MBiz platform in general will be their APHIS. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that makes sense. Now, today we are going to be talking quite a bit about one of the featured products that you guys are uh, showcasing here at the II, amongst other products, but you're launching a new product called Case Aphis. And this Case Aphis is a culmination of work that we've had for a number of years. Want to walk us through a little bit of that history and how we got here? So um, I think um, we, personally, I think uh, we uh, we started working on on it uh, when I was at, at a different company. Um, we did some research together to show that there is a benefit of using APHIS at the case level, not just the gigantic APHISes, and and, and published that paper yeah, and, and research yes, as well. Yeah, we co-wrote the article, and then you guys did the paper study. That was a very good starting point to show the different value, in different usage of APHIS, right? Um, and then you also, you on the other side, if you look at the study that Cedric did on sufficiency, it shows that the database sufficiency actually changes depending on the, the population and database you have to deal with. So I think those two things kind of come together. And as this idea matures and as we continue to move on with our career and development, I think Morpho, um, uh, when I moved back, when I joined Morpho, I, I sort of pitched the, uh, with all the study in the body of study we put to it that is already available in the, in the public place. We feel like definitely as a leader, we can make a change. Yeah. We can offer that kind of efforts because we did listen. Right, we just say, okay, there's nothing out like that. It's not closed search. It's not big A Facebook closed search capability like Arizona have, right? Yes. Because you're gonna say, wow, sort of have it, but it's not exactly the same, right? So we took a chance and we 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 tried it out, right? We we want to build um, an offering that it can extend the capability of AFIS beyond the traditional AFIS box. And extend the usage to other part of your of your of your work. So backing it up just a little bit, I mean, since you guys both worked on it, just kind of directed to to both of you guys now. For people who weren't at the conference and get to see this rollout, um, didn't get to hear the you know the pitch in the in the vendor hall of, of what, how this is going to help them or what even this is. We'll start there. What what is Case Aphis? 
um, for the, uh, the latent print examiner out there? Sure. So having had the benefit of my company, Elite Forensic Services, uh, hired to consult and test the system, uh, the, the little soundbite I would say is that Case APHIS is a standalone APHIS that allows a fingerprint examiner, a latent fingerprint examiner, to search latents from a case against a specific set of known exemplars from just that case. And it actually increases the accuracy and the efficiency of the entire process. What is nice about this case APHIS is that as exactly as Teresa said, you know, they basically said, all right, you leave forensic services, you guys test this, which we did. And I'll talk about some of the testing in a little bit. But once we were done testing it, we said, okay, here's the performance, here are the metrics. And they came right back and said, great. Now, how can we improve this? How can we make this better? What would you do as a fingerprint examiner? And for me, I, I love when a vendor actually is listening to what we're saying and then actually executes it. <laughs> yes. Because that's the, that's the second part you rarely hear about. Yes. And it really was this back and forth of, now this, this, this. This is how a fingerprint examiner would think about it. This is an intuitive. You're using a word that a fingerprint examiner wouldn't use here. It's that those little subtleties that you have to step back from. And, and again, they were very open to the suggestions. It was a very collaborative process, I thought. Oh, that's great. Yes. I think the, the, the main, when we uh, presented it, a lot of users keep saying, wow, it's just like closed search. Because a, a lot of agents are using closed search. Right. So I would say it's like the little brother of closed search or stepbrother of closed search. It's because in the case AFIS, we, you don't have the limitation of the format. Because in a big AFIS, right. it's a system of records. So you have a restriction on how the fingerprint is formatted, the, the type you can accept, um, the the form of the card you can accept in the AFIS. In the case AFIS, that goes away because it's standalone. You don't have that limitation anymore. So you don't have to segment the um, the the fingers out. You don't have to say you know okay, here's where the palm is. You can just take you can take a regular fingerprint card, but you can also just take you know any uh, form of exemplars, scan it into the system. It'll autocode all those features throughout those cards and then be ready for, like you said, kind of like a mini APHIS search of just the uh, just that guy or, you know, all the suspects and subjects involved in the case uh, uh, search for the latent through all those areas. Yeah, and having worked around with different kinds of forms, there was a little bit of learning curve and some anomalies, but we were able to get them to using their format and structure from coding uh, to be able to use, of course, finger fingerprint cards, no problem. You know, that was easy. Uh, palm, palm print cards, no problem. But then we got into major case prints, tips, joints, sides, uh, feet, you know, so you get soles and toe prints and, and trying to teach them how to have those and then create form cards that you could use and then also give it a little bit of memory. So if you had seen one kind of elimination format, you know, like those strips of elimination exemplars that you might be able to get from, you know, or a street officer might, you know, use where you've got one strip of fingers and then the strip above it is upside down. You can right. teach the system, okay, here's that form. Next time I see it, okay, use the same form again. Yeah, we, uh, I see one a lot where it's uh, it's like a uh, eight by eight card, but double length folded in half. And then you got like thumb and index on one edge, yep. middle on another edge, yep. and then four and five on another edge. And the back's got the you know other hand, but there's also room for 
you know, around just the center part of the finger, there's the side on each side and the tip on top, and there's all these just pieces that, you know, again, yeah. that's, a, you know... And you would never form. see that in Avis. Right. I, yeah, you would never be able to enter that into Avis. No, no, it's never going <laughs> to... Maybe, maybe you could segment out just the center part of each finger, but yeah, there's no room for all those other, other impressions uh, that are on that card. I mean, four for each finger. Right. So if you see that routinely enough, you create the form, save and name that form, and then every time you see it, just click then on that form, and then it knows where to place the boxes around the fingers if, if the officer has rolled them in that spot. Which, which taking a, a little tangent, I think that was one of the confusing things for the engineers, was let's say that the officer uses that card, and they decide to just take five impressions of the thumbprint right. and then use another card for the index finger. You know, the <laughs> yeah. engineers were going, well, how will you know which finger it is? You know, because now you're, you've are you got a thumb five times. If it hits on one of the thumb impressions, how will you know which finger? And I said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about those rules. <laughs> Just encode it, hit it. I'll figure out where it came from. Right, right, right. Um, and because that's that's totally the thing. I mean, uh, I remember when I was first trained on taking major case prints. It was okay. Yes, yeah, start with the temperate card. Do your rolls. Do your your flats, and then uh, flip the thing over. You know, get to the back of one of the blank back. The cards have the blank backs, and start doing the palms. And when you do the palms, do like the four corners of that card, getting this. You know, the top interdigital section, the hypothenar, the the carpal area, and then the hypo, you know, the anyway, the okay. whole thing, and and you know that's all uh, on there. And if one of them's not very good, just kind of do it again in the middle where there's right. extra space. Repeat it exactly, and um, and they never turn out <laughs> the same way twice because of just how people's hands you know take and what area maybe. And I've had to do this a few times. You know, you you would say inconclusive because you need better knowns, but you know right where you need it to be from. But there's so many creases there that you have to take so many impressions of just the same area over and over and over again. And then, okay, finally now I've got enough. But now you've got, you know, three, four cards of just someone's left hypothenar area. Yeah, and in, in this case, APHIS, I can name that Jones number one, Jones number two, Jones number three, Jones number four, and just keep encoding all those multiple images because again it's not a criminal history record like you'd have with a big aphis and that card you described by the way we had some arizona cards and actually i have a form for exactly that card. <laughs> maybe that's his <laughs> maybe now they, they say right on there arizona dps yeah, yeah, so yeah. That, it was that format that's funny um so how is this being used like um so first is like how what are different options that people have for for doing this and then, um, kind of as a follow-up thing, just if you can just kind of walk through how it works. Like, do you get a candidate list of like ranking the fingers, or does it just pull up? Hey, I think it's from here, and everything else is such a low score you don't even get to look at it. Or what's kind of when you're operationally using the thing, what does that feel like? Sure. All right. So how is it being used? I can tell you that the vision that I had. I, well, I mean, there's a lot of things that led up to this, but probably the, the most obvious one is those nightmare cases when you've got 10, 20, 30, 40 subjects to compare against and dozens, maybe hundreds of latents coming back from the scene. And so maybe the, you know, the exemplars in the case 
Yes, there might be some suspects that you could import in from your big APHIS database, but then you might have maybe a juvenile who doesn't have a, a, a record in the big database. Maybe you've got elimination prints. Maybe you've got victim prints, morgue prints coming from the morgue from the victim or multiple victims. Um, you know, I, we were talking to some users who were asking about mass disasters. Could you use this in a mass disaster situation where you've got really incomplete exemplars from bodies and corpses to create a database. So this concept of being able to take any kinds of exemplars, create this little database, and so you don't have to spend all your time doing those manual searches. The manual searches in cases like that take weeks, sometimes months, and it's a lot of time being spent, and you can go from weeks and months to hours. And that's the that's truly the, yeah. the value. I mean, that, that's, that's uh, you know, utilizing what APHIS is good at. APHIS is good at the search. We're still better at the decision end of it, the sufficiency end of it, but uh, the search for us could take a long time. So using computers to do that part, right. yeah. The, the heavy lifting part. And because I had some, some potential uh, you know, people asking about it and potential people that want to buy it, and they were saying, well, so would I do all my manual searches and then anything left over uh, at the end just run through this? And I went, well, sure, you can do that. But the analogy I would make is that's like walking up five flights of stairs to take the elevator at the fifth floor up to the tenth floor. Why Why? Why not just take it down at the ground floor? Uh, it, Yes, one could, but right. you just wasted days doing manual comparisons that could easily have been done. And I think, of course, the thing that users will have to become comfortable with is just how accurate it is. And that's what our testing showed, is that when, when the mated pair was there in the test sample, even when they were really thin latents, it was hitting. And, and nearly all the time hitting in the first candidate position a couple of times hitting them a second, but it would hit. Right. And and if you do still want to do that both, right, to either maintain that skill or just to double-check the system, do the computer one first, then then take whatever's left over and, yeah. and do the manual from there. Because there are some things, you know, the, the strengths and weaknesses of human versus computer are different. Um, so uh, I think pretty obviously the... The, the two combined is the way to do it, absolutely the most accuracy, but um, you get most of the stuff out of the way um, with the computer part of that search. Yeah, I, I, I tell you right now, looking down the road, I'm going to agree with you that that is how examiners will end up using it, but I have a feeling that's a lot like Henry classification. That's one of these things that down the road, 10 years from now, the searching aspect might become a little obsolete. And, I, and that scares people because it's kind of the fun part of the job. I just don't know with this, with this technology if that's even going to be necessary. And so people go, well, I don't want to lose that hunting skill. I want to be able to hunt for the latent. And well, okay, I mean, I, get, I absolutely get that. If you're not using that skill, you're not going to be out of a job, though, because you're still going to have to be the one to make the decision that the sufficiency, the distortion, and the artifacts, differences. You're going to be the one testifying to it. You're going to be the one writing the report. So it's not like it's all automated. It's just this one task now is being done for you. You're being presented with potential matches, and then you decide on, you know, on, on, on the decision. 
And I would think that with uh, the the growing requirement of documentation and transparency, you will want to have that time, quality time, to do the quality work and yeah. and let the machine do the do I would say the grunt work. Yeah. At this point, no, that, that's I, I hate to say it. That grunt work is what's fun. I mean, it's. It's it's what we enjoy doing to some if extent. You unless find it. if you don't find it, <laughs> yeah. then it's no fun, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, and and that's the good question is all right. So if you were to run something through and you don't get quote unquote a hit in your case AFIS, what would you report? And you know, I, I imagine right now people would go, well, of course I wouldn't exclude, and and I get that because maybe the manual comparison is tied into the decision making. But I could envision a future where our reports or our language might be. Uh, based on, uh, uh, you know, in this case, you know, uh, based on manual or a combination of manual and automated searches, no correspondence was found between latent, you know, L1 and these individuals, which is sort of like an APHIS no hit. Right. But if, if we have the data to show that's 99.5% accurate when in fact it's there, that's as close to an inconclusive exclusion as you can get and may be sufficient for a case and certainly would not necessarily justify now spending three days doing manual comparisons. Right, and, and you can even operationally break that down uh, because the times that it is going to be a more of a challenge for a, a case APHIS to find it is when there's excessive distortion and maybe, and if the examiner is then trained to recognize, hey, this is going on, maybe these are the ones that I'm going to spend the extra time doing the manual search on. Again, just combining those different strengths of the the, the two different, um, you know, old school and new school. Sure. Yeah. And if we do some more research uh, and, and try to understand when it doesn't do well and figure out, you know, and, and be able to identify those kinds of cases then we at least know when the human might need to step in and do some of that too. That's, that's a good point. I, I think at the end, it's not either or, it's an end thing. It's yeah. an extra tool in your toolbox to help you hunt those latent, right? I mean, it's ex- extra tools. You know, you, you, as a hunter, you don't use one tool to hunt. You have multiple various different, different equipment you get to, to get the job done. Right, you or the carpenter out there has multiple types of hammers for multiple different applications, and one doesn't quite. Or you could try to use one for all of it, but it, once you get into the weeds, there's things that that have uh, different advantages. Yeah, and I could I can easily like you're saying, Teresa, if there is a case where it's a single latent palm print and it's got almost the entire hypothenar to it. And I have one, maybe two suspects. It might not make sense to sit there and then encode those knowns, launch that hypothenar when I could have just in 30 seconds just looked at yeah, the right exactly. hypothenars and been done. Yes. So that's a good example where the time doesn't you know, balance mm-hmm. it out. But now if I had, for example, 20 or 30, and that hypothenar is not the entire hypothenar, but a small little area, even if... You don't know which way is up. Even if you don't, right. And, and yes, now I'd have to maybe search three or four different areas. Now maybe the time balance just, you know, it would make more sense. Or if there were 10 of those latents in the case, then it becomes you know a, a lot more uh, time conservative to do it that way. So, uh, you guys mentioned uh, closed search before. Mm-hmm. Um, 
talk a little bit more about how this case APHIS is different than that or anything else that may currently be out there that can help examiners uh, find these prints. Because um, I think that's going to be people's, just like you said, Teresa, people's first thought is, oh, this sounds just like uh, closed search. What I, I have this already. Yeah, well, yeah. What's, uh, what's the difference? How, what's the advantage here? I mean, we already kind of talked about how you get in the exemplars of all different types, but... Yeah. But um, uh, you know, what, what, how else is that different than the, the closed search uh, kind of aspect? Well, I, I think it's, it's similar. It, with, I think it's very close to closed search, right? yeah. no pun intended. It is, it is a form of closed search. It's just that we, you give you more independence on what you can put into the APHIS. Some APHIS, some customization has been done where you can put free-formed. But I think there's uh, also a limita- some legal in- limitation for some users not to have certain prints in the database. Right. So KSAFIS is an independent version version of closed search, plus other things you can use with it, right? Um, um, so, I mean, for example, one thing that they could do if they wanted to even create a little database of police, EMS, fire personnel if they truly wanted to they yeah. could actually keep those records and then import them in other cases now now they're starting to use the case APHIS a little more like a mini APHIS database and that's the kind of control they have that wasn't exactly what it was designed for but they could if they wanted to well, that's a really great idea because you know right now it really depends on your jurisdiction of whether or not uh, officers and, and other first responders are in the database uh, in, in my agency, for our state APHIS, that's the case and has been for a long time. And we'll get APHIS hits all the time to officers. But that's a really interesting idea. I hadn't really kind of thought that through that you could just have a, a standard you know, file of first responders ready to go. You put in your suspects, then you figure out, okay, who was there at the scene, dropped in, in two, and then you're ready to go. Um, uh, and... Now, again, the big advantage there is if you have a print and you don't know who it belongs to and it doesn't match any of your suspects, now you can quickly just eliminate it as, oh, that's just the you know, officer's print and, and move on to, uh, to the other stuff in the case. Yeah, I mean, there are some complications that come with that. I mean, who's going to maintain that and when new personnel come and when personnel leave? And that's what makes it a little more complicated, but it's still an option. Or, um, you know, other sort of variances off of that. If you know you have multiple cases with certain defendants, I mean, right now I've got actually three or four cases with the same defendant all coming up from the same attorney that they want me to look at. I'll be able to use that defendant across those multiple cases, and then when I'm all done with it, I can delete the record. And that, that's probably one of the biggest differences, too, is I have control of those records, whereas in a closed-search, big APHIS environment, you got to go beg the king of sieges to you know, <laughs> get permission to anything, and then usually the answer is just no. Well, because that that whole ten print system is uh, system of record is well also, but there's multiple statutes mm-hmm. that uh, right. rule how the system works uh, in a state like Arizona, and the the implications of who gets arrested, where they get arrested, how old they are, uh, depending on the jurisdiction of. Uh, of who brings them in, what county they're in, if it's on a Indian reservation, uh, if they're a member of the tribe versus just a regular American citizen, um, yeah. 
there's so many rules and statutes that govern all that, and this is something separate, not a part of that, but but still uh, a tool for the latent print unit that doesn't have to worry about then now all the um, uh, the rules that the temperate units mm-hmm. operate under. And this is now exciting because now there's a product by an APHIS company built specifically for latent print people, and we're not just tagging along with, with Big Brother Tenprint that actually paid for the whole system. And optimized on the latent print workflow. I mean, that, it's, uh, it's yeah. designed for the latent print examiner and optimized on their workflow. That, to me, is, is a huge difference between that and the, the Big APHIS. And I would say um, the difference also is that your cold cases, right? Some of your cold cases file are not in the APHIS. So be able to redo your cold case work, not just launching a latent print and hoping that that late that template is already in the system. You can do your cold case work independently, right? Right, uh, with using the case APHIS. But I think the case APHIS, um, it's uh, a a starting point. I would like to see what Glenn is saying is like having it really optimized for late temperature examiner, not just a searching piece, but we're going to build upon it and get getting other features in there to truly map your your workflow. So the ASV workflow with the a, overlaying with the AFIS technology and they empowers it with the AFIS technology but follow through your ASV workflow. I think that's the difference with closed search. Closed search is part of the AFIS. It's part of AFIS workflow but it's not ASV workflow. And I think that the case AFIS allow us to further integrate AFIS into your ASV. Yeah. And in fact, this is actually one of the reasons I wanted to work with Teresa and wherever you went, whatever company you were with, because years ago you shared this vision with me that APHIS doesn't just have to be a tool, that it's, it's an environment and it can be an ACE-V environment. And that, I mean, I think fingerprint examiners simply think of and often think of APHIS as a tack-on tool at the end. After you've done all your manual work, you've done all your human expertise of searching and hunting and finding and deciding, and anything left over, all the leftover scraps, then get thrown into APHIS. And Teresa's vision here was that, no, no, this could be an entire environment with the right software, with the right workflow, that you could basically do your entire case within APHIS, whether it's up front or in the middle or part of verification, all these different ways to incorporate it if you have the documentation, if you have the right tools in the right milieu to do these examinations. Milieu, good work, Glenn. Thank you. (laughs) That is my NPR word for the day. All right, so Teresa, um, yesterday we were up at the top of the Tower of the Americas, 600-some-odd feet in the air, uh, for the launch party of APHIS. And before that, you were demoing it at uh, the vendor hall. Uh, what kind of feedback have you been getting from people uh, so far on this new product? I, has been, I think there's an excitement about it. It's, it's funny because it's at the end it's still at APHIS, but because we repackage it, but that's a lot of... Um, very positive feedback. A lot of people is like, really, I love this. We need it. And uh, it's very encouraging to see that, you know, uh, we are able to repackage, we formatted a, a solution that, that the user has been using, but because applied to a different workflow, different environment, and they, they feel actually this is going to be a game changer in their productivity. Um, so I've been, I, 
I know for you, Glenn, but I I was pretty amazed with the with the with the response. Yeah, I, I was really pleased too. And you know, a lot of people coming up to me and Glenn, you're working for Idemia now? No, no, no. I'm working with Idemia. And it really was a pleasure to work on this. And I, I people would come up and when they pull me aside and go, All right, so come on, if you're not working for the vendor, then tell me the real scoop here. And my answer was, uh, this is real simple. Here's what I think of this. I'm using it in my casework. I have private cases and I'm using it. That should tell you what I think of it. And I love using it. Uh, I had this case, and this was what I told a lot of people that came up. I had a case with something like 23 latent prints in it and eight different people. Uh, so eight sets of fingerprints and palm prints for each individual, 23 prints. And I believe the local agency that had done the case identified 22 of them and to all of the different people in the case, basically. And it took them about two weeks to do the whole case. And I was able to work the case in just a few hours. And so from weeks to hours and found one more that they had missed that I probably would have missed too. It was way over in the small part of the hand down by the base of the, the palm, almost almost along the wrist bracelet. And it just was an area I don't think I would have necessarily have instinctively looked for that one. And uh, again, just the time-saving aspect. So I, that's why I keep going back to increase your efficiency and likely increase your accuracy, less chance for erroneous exclusions or missed identifications. So these are some going to be some really powerful tools for the agencies that, that start utilizing this backlog. I mean, there's all sorts of, of, of uh, benefits uh, to starting to use this, but you know, how else can this kind of change the game for latent print examiners? Yeah, I mean, I mean one thing I, I want to stress is that it's not just some software. It's an actual APHIS system, and it's got all the powerful matchers and autoencoding that you want with a really good APHIS system, top-tier APHIS. So it's crazy that I'm walking around with a laptop, but an actual APHIS system, and, and I'm on the plane running cases through an APHIS, now a closed APHIS, right. but that to me was also one of the great advantages that I, I have the option to keep it completely contained. No internet connection is necessary, though you could. If there was a cloud-based service down the road, one could. But it's closed. It's contained. I don't need anyone's firewall permission. I don't need any security <laughs> issues. I don't need to go begging to CGIS. I have a closed, contained system to work my cases. And that's, that's really cool. I mean, I've used other software that didn't have... The autoencoding ability, or particularly, you know, encoding the knowns, the speed of that, oh, it matters. That's the number one thing. If you yeah. don't have that, then you just spend hours encoding your knowns and cleaning them up and dealing with that. And this takes minutes to encode a full set of knowns, especially the more standard they are, even, even faster. The, the more complicated, weird stuff, you might end up spending 10, 20, 30 minutes to encode it. Yes. But as long, you know, I, I can't imagine using a system that takes either three hours to encode knowns or one of the systems we heard about where it and, and he wasn't exaggerating, it will take three to four hours just to return a result from the search. And I thought, oh my God. Well, that, 
That kind of kills the point of, kills the point. <laughs> of the case Apis. Right. So I would say that the, the in terms of you know once you use a laptop right you it's no different than the um, the department issue a laptop so you need to make sure that of course it's secure it's locked it's mo- you don't leave it unattended so all those security um, common sense apply the whole point of uh, putting on a laptop was because the 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 power of that AFIS need to have certain platform to run. And we want to be portable because we, we just talk about that. It's like you don't want to be locked down in that AFIS workstation. You'll be able to work next to your latent print in the lab yeah. or home. in the team environment. Telecommute. Right? Yes. So you, you want to have that freedom to not be locked down at the AFIS workstation. Right. Right. That's exactly the same why we chose. We could have chose to put on a desktop. We will we could have, right? right. But Glenn's like, hold on. <laughs> I don't want on a desktop. I want to be able to move from one desk to the other to another environment. I'm doing my private cases. I need to move with it. So that's why the laptop was uh, the choice. And and then that would go forward with what Glenn was talking about, your vision for an entire latent suite. Uh, you know, everything's you know together, especially for those people that are still processing you know, I, I have Photoshop on that same laptop yeah, yeah. now, so now I've got all my other tools there too for that process, image processing. Right, everything, and then you, when you are processing and photographing and comparing, you may be in different areas for all that, yeah. and and so that's why that portability matters. And if it does go to the cloud, I, I heard someone talking about this earlier today, so I want to want to jump in here. The cloud, for people who are scared of the cloud, because there's people out there that won't buy Photoshop CC Creative Cloud because it has the word cloud in it, and they think that all your images are going to be stored in the cloud. Cloud just means somebody else's computer. So, like, uh, this case APHIS, if it could, you know, accessing the cloud means you could just import in the 10 print card from the big APHIS, and, and, and you know, without ha- even without needing to even scan everything in, if it's already all scanned in, from the big AFIS. Well, uh, we actually have several customers that have the AFIS, the big AFIS on the cloud, but it's the Microsoft Azure cloud. It's, it's secured. Right. It's, it's governed by the CGS security policy. And and so if we're going to do a case AFIS on the cloud capability, we'll deploy in the same AFIS, the cloud environment, as the same as the big AFIS cloud environment. That's number one. And number two, I think that um, I mean, I think it's a couple of years now. Honestly, I'm still looking at the response now. We just launched it. Right. But the roadmap is um, if there is appetite for further mobility, the consideration can be that we put this on the cloud, uh, on the secure cloud environment. Right. Uh, however, I would say that I think we let's not, I, I think there are other things in between that we need to we need to happen uh, to make to make that a reality. I think there are other other component we want to add to the case AFIS that uh, Glenn um, with the consultation that we have it's continued add on. This is not we we decided to actually delay the launch mm. for quite a bit because Glenn said you need to have this or yeah. it's not going to be a good tool. So therefore, we push back the launch. And just happened that we like, well, we, we push back more than we miss this II, then might as well just wait until next II. And at that point, I'm like, wow, it's going to be too long. So we really worked very hard to make to the launch. And, and the launch for, uh, for, for, for us is that we, we want to have the bait, the bait, the foundation, but we're going to build upon it. Right. Oh, so this yeah. is not it. This is, this is just the beginning. And I'm hoping the beginning is 
Now we want to start the trend is that AFIS vendors can collaborate and we can cater to temperate folks as well as latent folks. And the latent folks is not just one application, but it's a specific product for you guys. And now the latent folks can have a voice. You guys now have a product to get <laughs> behind of to say, yes, we are AFIS user, but different kind of AFIS users. And that is music to our ears because we often feel like the forgotten stepchild because the you know we're a small subset of your full users. And that really does actually mean a lot to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And now you were talking about product launch, so why don't we get to some of the specifics. When is this available? How much? How does someone get it? Tell us about that. Okay. So um, we launched it uh, here at II, and the, we actually have a pre-order campaign. Uh, so we started this new, like really we start very, a lot of new things with this product, right? Working with examiner, uh, testing, and so forth. Um, so the product launch entails that we have a pre-order campaign. Uh, we have a speci- specific web page where you can say that you're interested. And, and if you order it before October 15, actually you get a 20% off of the public price. Um, the public price is $22,000. $22,000. And yes. so you can get 20% off of that? Yes. Puts at what, roughly $18,000-ish? Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. Until October 15. Um, and then afterward, um, we are actually, with Glenn, organizing a special training class that's going to be a combination of Case AFIS and ASV. So it's not the traditional product training. It's actually uh, professional training and technology training and the product training together. Nice. Um, and it's going to be sometime either November, December. And uh, the people that have pre-ordered will get the 20% off on that class as well. Nice. So and that's the, that, that price comes with the laptop, uh, all software loaded on it, ready to go for any, you know anyone in the agency to to log in, put their stuff in, yes, and, and do that closed agents. Mm-hmm. And it's coming with one year warranty. And the uh, case, and some people ask me, so how after that year, what happened? So you actually you can enter a maintenance program and uh, continue to get uh, main support from us. And and Teresa, that that class is actually going to be held. At your facilities, it's going to be in Southern California, if I remember right. Correct. It's going to be in Anaheim. Disneyland. <laughs> uh, in the winter-ish. Yes. November, December. Yes, I thought that was a perfect location for winter training. Yeah. Um, but the the beauty of it is that you don't have to be a, a buy owner of a case AFIS to come to that training. Actually, we will provide case AFIS there as part of the class. So you're not too sure. You still need some training credit and time. And you can basically come and get training, part of the case AFIS training and the ASV training, technology training. And then afterward, you can make your own decision. So yeah. you don't have to buy case AFIS in order to go to that class. Actually, you can get that class first and then do a decision. Maybe bring in some uh, couple sample cases, some uh, big crazy ones to test and- out during the training week. And, uh, you know, kind of see how it works, a little test drive. Uh, yeah, that's got to be a great class. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like that idea. So those that, you know, purchase the Case APHIS will then be able to to be trained on their Case APHIS and plus also other ACEV things that, you know, we'll throw in as well that would be part of that, that training course. But then I love this idea of the, the examiner who doesn't 
can't either they're not sure if they want to buy it they don't have the money right now to buy it but maybe on the next fiscal year or with a grant or something like that uh, then they get a chance to try it out get some training on it and then bring that back and, and Eric I mean that suggestion is phenomenal the idea of bring some of your cases I'll show you yeah. how to load them on there I'll show you how to work with these crazy knowns uh, bring that toe print bring those <laughs> morgue prints let's let's run some of those cases maybe even can you can you imagine the headline we sent our examiner to this training class in Southern California for a couple of days and they came back and solved a cold case I mean how fantastic would that be it would be the hit of the year for my user conference there you go <laughs> yeah, no doubt and so I mean, definitely the the training class. I think what we want to want to say is, uh, even it's hosted Idemia, we're gonna have partly the case AVIS driven. I want to make sure you know if, if it's similar to what you guys talk about my the user conference we have been organizing. We want to make sure it's applied and usable outside the AVIS world. It's, it's for right. your job. That's the right. training for you. It's just that have this technology piece, and I think it's missing that out there right now. Well, it'd be like uh, getting training on, on uh, how to use Photoshop to enhance uh, you know, a latent print image. You know, that's, that's a tool that examiners use to do their work. Just like this case APHIS is going to be a tool and, and that's, that's totally great training on, on how to use it uh, to improve your efficiency and, and, uh, and your work on a day-to-day basis. And I would like to add, so the case APHIS a lot of people say, but look just like MorphoBiz. Like a lot of people that are MorphoBiz um, users that use our client looks like, I said, I'm not, yes, because well, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is the same thing. We just changed the workflow and so on the back end. So if you are MorphoBiz users that you want some training on actually encoding and so forth, this guy's for you too, because at some point it's the same interface. So it, 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 we are trying to make it. It is have a case AFIS aspect to it. But if you are muffle biz users and you want some training on ASV, this class it's 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 definitely relevant and applicable. Yeah, and and on that point, that you remind, reminded me of one of the questions I was getting from people coming by, and, and they were going, well, "Okay, so if I do this case AFIS approach, enter in my exemplar, search it, and then I'm done with that, I can just upload that into my big AFIS, right? Because I'm a, I'm a, I have morpho biz, so I can just upload it. And I had to do the timeout and went, well, at the moment, no. Uh, that's because, as we talked about, it's not connected into the big AFIS. But that is one of the future visions, is that the next, you know, perhaps go-around, we may be able to export it with the encodings that you have already here in the case AFIS and just upload it into your big AFIS. And the advantage is that if you are an IDEMIA customer, then you don't have to do any additional work. You can just upload into that system. The other advantage is if you're not an IDEMIA big database, if you're an NEC state or a cogent Jamalto state or whatever whatever you may be, you can still use case AFIS. That was the whole point was you're no longer tied to whatever your big vendor APHIS is, you as the latent print examiner have the advantage of being independent of your CGIS, your vendor, your big APHIS. You now have the case back in control. Right, right. There's There's been lots of work on interoperability. So you just export your latent with all the markups, just encoding it once. 
import it into whatever system you're using, and then launch it uh, through your city, county, state, and then you know, again import it into ULW or however you access NGI and search it that way too. That is the, the latent print examiner's dream of encode once and then you're done. You'll never have to mark the points again. Uh, you just do that analysis once, mark the points once, and then it's set. And every other system that that latent might go into uh, is, is you know, can access that first markup that you do. It's definitely a, a path, right, a vision. I would say that if um, I, I'm not going to confirm or deny what's <laughs> coming next. Uh, however, I would say the most log- logical um, the logical path is that, you know, if KSAFIS cannot interoperable with MBIS, people will look at me the wrong way. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? So uh, definitely there is a, a lot of potential. I'm very excited about KSAFIS and the ho- this launch. Hopefully that... In the space of AFIS, I'm hoping that there will be a new product uh, group called Case AFIS. Not just Idemia doing it, but other uh, vendor that will do it more than just a comparison software. Right. Like I'm hoping that there will be like live scan. You have you know pumping scanner and live scan. You know a uh, tampering scanner and so forth. You will have a new range of product that cater to latent print examiner. That's great. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, so, uh, Teresa, thank you so much for, for coming on to the podcast. Uh, and thank you to you and Ademia for you know helping um, us bring the podcast to all the listeners uh, out there. Uh, and thank you, Glenn, because you kind of played the dual role of interviewee ah, and I interviewer since, uh, since you were such a big part of... Uh, of uh, uh, developing and getting this uh, uh, up on up and going, it really was a pleasure to do the research on this. And like like I said previously, and now I have this tool that I've been wanting for a long time, <laughs> and I'm using, and it just it's wonderful. Absolutely. All right. So uh, this brings uh, to close our, our final podcast episode from the 2018 conference in San Antonio, Texas. So uh, I guess I'll say a big. Yeehaw uh, to uh, to all the listeners out there. Um, if you were here at the conference, uh, I'm sure we ran into each other at some point. So it was great to see you again. If not, uh, I hope that that these uh, few episodes really kind of brought the conference back to you uh, and some of the things that were discussed and, and big parts of the conference here. So, in the meantime, follow us at Double Loop Pod on Twitter. Uh, contact us, Glenn at EliteForensicServices.com uh, or Eric at uh, RayForensics.com and if you want more information about KSAFIS send an email to info.usa at idemia.com and that's I-D-E-M-I-A dot com so remember uh, the things that we speak about or, and opinions we express uh, belong to us and not necessarily any agency we may or may not work for and you can follow us every week on stitcher soundcloud or on itunes and with that uh, goodbye from texas indeed have a good week everybody bye-bye